before my dad says it, when I was growing up, one of the things that would always happen when I was a little boy was, especially when I was about my daughter's age, is whenever the preacher got up here to, to preach, I would always say, no peach, no peach. And the reason I say that is because maybe we're lucky tonight and maybe there's a storm coming and there'll be no peaching. I, I kid, I kid. Welcome. We want to thank you all for being here tonight, especially those of you that are visiting. And uh, we know you could have chosen anywhere to be here, um, anywhere else but here. But we have, we're so thankful that you are here with us tonight. And a couple of things real quick as just, a, just some announcements. And the reason I bring these up because they are a little bit vital to the lesson. Number one is once a month, and today is that night, the, the brethren here like to get together and go eat somewhere and, and have fellowship with one another. And that's at Rudy's. And I, and I mentioned that tonight because it, it's pertinent into what I'm going to be talking about. Not necessarily barbecue, but um, this idea of fellowship, this idea of being together, the idea of sharing with one another and connecting with one another. And one of the other things is, and Caleb uh, gets this, because at Custer Road, one of the things that they do there is they... All the kids raise up when, when, uh, when Brother Caskey is up to preach. He always asks if the kids have a notebook. And the reason being is because there's three words that um, he always wants the kids to, to write down as something to take away. And we'll get that to in a minute. So if you have a notebook or anything, um, get that out for your little ones. And, and additionally, speaking about the little ones, I'll be ha- hosting the uh, elementary kids at my house tomorrow um, at 6 o'clock. Um, I think six. Yes, six. Six o'clock. And so if you're in the ages of kindergarten through fifth grade, um, please come by my house. If you don't know where that is, let me know. And the topic will be on how to be a friend like Jesus. So for the kids, your three words for tonight. Number one is speak. Speak. Because as Christians, we all need to be comfortable speaking to one another about our struggles and our shortcomings. But on the flip side, we also need to listen. When people come to us and thinking about our shortcomings and thinking about and talking to us about what it is that we're dealing with, we need to be able to listen and and be able to encourage and foster an environment that allows us to, to just sit and listen. And then thirdly, together, by talking, speaking, listening, and being with one another, then we'll be able to be steadfast or immovable able to join arm in arm as we walk down this road together. I don't know about you, but whenever I am traveling, I love to pull up a sermon and listen to it on the road. And when I was driving down to, um, to uh, Brother Bowman's funeral last year, I listened to a sermon that uh, Bubba Garner gave uh, down in, in Pasadena about this very topic. It's about Christians and mental health. And by mental health, really what I mean and what Brother Garner uh, means as well is depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and then I'm also going to add in a word here called being neurodivergent. And for those of you that are not familiar with the term neurodivergent, it refers to variations in the human brain. For instance, in sociability, learning, attention, mood, and other mental functions. And the reason for the sermon is due to three main 
factors, one of which is this is something that Casey and I both have been chewing on and has been on our heart and mind for over 10 years now. And we have been thinking about this with other evangelists, with people uh, both in the secular world and the spiritual world, all around this idea of mental health. And I as well have experienced this in many different scenarios, and uh, I'll share some of that later tonight. But the second reason that I brought this up is very similar to why Bubba brought it up last year, is during the Olympics. I don't know if you remember what happened during the Olympics last year, but there was a lot of shameful behavior in the brotherhood around the Olympics. And if you know what I'm talking about, it's whenever Simone Biles withdrew herself from the balance beam finals, stating that she can no longer trust herself and wanted to focus on her mental health. In a series of posts and videos on her Instagram story, Biles explained she was dealing with something called the twisties and said that her mind and body are simply not in sync. And this term twisties is, is a term used by gymnasts when they feel like they get lost in the air, which can cause serious injuries during airborne routines. And so what happened was that something ironic happened. Those that were the, 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 those that were the most critical of Simone Biles never was a gymnast, never was in the Olympics, never experienced the kind of pain and suffering that, that she was enduring, but yet were the most critical about it. Because, well, you're an athlete. You're on the world stage. You need to perform because we said so. But yet, on the flip side, those that were the most embracing, the most encouraging, were the ones that have done that before, that, that get it, that understood exactly what she was facing. So if we stop there, that was, that's probably be good enough for, for a sermon and the reason why, why to bring it. In fact, that's actually what happened in, in April and May when, when I went to Nate and put my name on the, on the board. I asked Nate, you know, what is the sermon series going to be about? And he talked about, you know, renewing our thinking about X, Y, and Z. And so I was like, perfect. Well, then I got a, a good lesson to, to think about um, for that very thing. But then the third reason is why, unfortunately, we are seeking professional and medical help from doctors in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, because again, this is something that no longer just affects me or Casey, but it affects my son, my daughters, and my immediate family. The statistics don't lie. According to Mental Health America, 42.5 million Americans each year are affected by anxiety orders. 17.3 million in the last year has had at least one depressive episode. One in 20 children were found to have anxiety or depression over the last year. In 2021, the CDC reported that approximately one in 44 children in the, U in the United States has been diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. Bleeding from there, there is also a term called um, FASD, or fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. The only way that you can become diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome is to drink during pregnancy. The only way. Well, there's a second way. There's actually studies shown that the man can also pass it along if he also has been drinking um, in the event of a pregnancy. But it has been reported that one in every seven pregnancies here in the United States reported drinking alcohol while during pregnancy at some point in, in that term. 
One in 20 pregnancies reported binge drinking while also being pregnant. And then we also have that a new finding says that in pregnancies who experience frequent mental distress, which equals 14 or more days of poor mental health in the past 30 days, so take the whole calendar or the whole month, half that, that month, they're having a frequent mental distress, they are more likely to report alcohol usage during that time. Additionally, the leading cause of all deaths in the United States is suicide. 46,000 people every year here in the United States commit suicide, which is equating to one death every 11 minutes. Then you start thinking about, okay, what about the number of people who have actually thought about it? 22.2 million Americans in the past year have seriously thought about suicide. 3.2 million have actually planned an attempt, and then 1.2 million have actually carried it on. I mention that not for anything other than the statistics don't lie, and I shudder to think that there are those here tonight who struggle with the same thing. And so if you are here tonight who struggle with any of these areas, I hope this sermon helps you realize that you truly are not alone. And tonight we'll be talking about three main areas. I was told to push that aside, so I'm going to push that aside. Three main areas to be able to help with this, and that is things that are fundamental, why this is so detrimental, and a warning about being judgmental. One of the fundamental facts is we have a physical health. We go to the doctor for our physical well-being. We know that we have a spiritual health, which is our soul, and we also have a mental health, which is our mind. Every one of those things affect one another. If you're physically ill, it will prohibit you and it affects every part of your life, whether it's your work life, whether it's the way you worship, the way you talk, the way you act, everything about it. If you're physically ill, it affects that very thing. It also could affect our mental outlook. And when I say that, I would, you, know, you, would, you would never say to someone that had a broken bone, well, you just need to pray about that more. Or you need to read the Bible more. No. You would say you need to go get professional help and have surgery to fix your broken bone. In the same way, if we have a broken spirit, it's not a problem that could be, sat- that could be satisfied with a passage or a prayer or a worship service. But rather, it reaches the point where you could need professional help. It could be medication due to a chemical imbalance, maybe some professional counseling. Now, you may be thinking, well, what about Philippians chapter 4? Philippians 4 and verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. If I'm not rejoicing, is that sinful? Am I, am I in sin because I don't feel happy or, or cheerful right now? You know, it is also said that, you know, we are despaired even of life whenever circumstances may seem overwhelming. We still have the joy of salvation at the same time dealing with the pressures of life, and it causes us despair. 
Or what about Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, what about this? Does this not, is this not just a contradiction of what Jesus is talking about? Or what about Matthew chapter 6? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're all familiar with, with this passage, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? It goes on and on and on. And then in verse 34 it says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what does this mean? Does this mean that if I'm anxious about anything, that I'm, that I'm sinning, that I'm in violation of this passage? Absolutely not. What this is really talking about is the daily necessities of life. Food, water, shelter, the true basic necessities in order to survive. And again, Casey and I say this all the time, I really need to write a book about the last two years. Because starting in 2020 has not been fun. And it's just been a roller coaster of all kinds of things since 2020. I kid you not, in a 72-hour period, okay, it started in February of 2020. Uh, it was actually uh, President's Day, if I remember correctly. Monday, my wife and I were living in Frisco at the time, uh, and we've, there's a town north of McKinney called Von Alstein, and we went down and put a large deposit down on a brand new construction home on Monday, and it felt great. I mean, we put the earnest money down, we picked up the plan, we knew exactly what we were doing, everything was great. Tuesday, Tuesday night, we get a call from Sacred Selections from David and Dana Carosa that said that you have been approved to be a Sacred Selections family. So what this means is we, we didn't know who we were going to get at the time, but that we were at least approved for the grant to be able to help us adopt a child. And then at 3 o'clock on Wednesday, I lost my job. And it has been fun ever since. And when you, in the middle of a pandemic, you lose your job, you don't know what's going to happen, you, the food shortages are everywhere, uh, everyone's already fighting for themselves, and then you have to go get get food from somewhere. And I went from feeling the top of the world to the bottom very, very quickly, to where at one point, we actually were even thinking, I don't even know where meat is going to come from tomorrow. So Casey and, and the kids, uh, we were in line for the, for the food pantry there in Frisco, and lo and behold, someone happened to show up with the heaviest box of frozen chickens I've ever seen in my life. There were 13 whole frozen chickens that someone donated. I, I, I bet it was from like a Tyson food truck or something. Because I mean, this thing was probably as big as this, this podium and about yay deep. And it probably weighed 60, 75 pounds of just pure ice and, and frozen ch- and chicken. And she was, uh, you know, we're both crying and, and rejoicing because the Lord provided. And I was rejoicing because I got to spend the next hour and a half chopping away at chickens and taking all my anger out of the year on some frozen chicken, which was pretty awesome. I say that to say, that's what Jesus is talking about here. If you've ever been in that position 
of worrying about where your food's going to come from, where, your, where the next drink is going to come from, God's going to provide for you a thousand percent of the time. What he's not speaking about here is clinical anxiety. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Hebrews 12 and verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Depression is not the same as discouragement. Discouragement is what is called by losing heart. In fact, the Greek word for heart is cardia. Cardiac arrest, cardiac, same Greek word. The root word there is is, as cardia. So when we encourage someone, and you look at the Greek word there for encourage, the literal translation is putting heart back into someone, giving them the motivation to continue. That's not what depression is. Now, prolonged discouragement can lead to depression, but we need to understand the fundamental differences that we not have a brother or sister who is fighting a mental health issue and think that it is a faith issue, that they just need to have more faith. Here are some passages to read, or you need to pray about it more. This is also true for those that are neurodivergent. There are fundamental differences with those that are quote, different than what society thinks as the, quote, norm. Having autism isn't a death sentence. It doesn't mean that they can't live a successful life. In fact, it's actually quite the contrary. Because you're looking at them. I mentioned how over the last 10 years, Casey and I have been struggling with finding answers to certain things. That's me. And so last year or I guess two years ago, I truly believe God helped me lose my job in such a way, if you can put it that way, to where we were forced to move to Nashville. And in moving to Nashville, I had no idea what was about to take place. And time and time again, God put person after person in my life that finally directed me to meet a professional that literally gave the following synopsis. It says here, Jordan Kelly was referred for a physio- uh, psychological evaluation to assess attention and social development functioning. He was presented with social difficulties, including difficulty from indirect communication, picking up on social cues, difficulty interpreting negative feedback from others due to misinterpretation of nonverbal social cues, including facial expressions, difficulty forming and maintaining social relationships, and difficulty expressing his emotions. It goes on to say his mood is variable and has reported sensitivity and dips in mood, particularly when things do not go as planned. He noted difficulty expressing his emotions and a tendency toward emotional, it has a tendency toward emotional meltdowns. A number of aspects of Jordan's self-description suggest noteworthy particularities in thinking and experience. He reported himself to be a socially isolated individual who has few interpersonal relationships that could be described as close and warm. Based on his responses, Jordan's interpersonal style seems best characterized as being indifferent and apathetic. Others may view him as being stern, punitive, and unable to display affection in personal relationships. At times, he may appear somewhat devoid of warmth and friendliness, which make those around him feel uncomfortable or uneasy. 
There are probably only a few people who consider him to be anything more than an acquaintance. Based on the information obtained throughout the evaluation, Jordan meets the diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorder level one, formerly called Asperger's syndrome. And why do I say that? Why did I just share that with you and the world and anyone watching this later on? It's because by not addressing mental health, it's going to be detrimental. I take you back to August 11th, 2014. During the NBC nightly news broadcast, the following was read. Having just shared the news with our nightly news audience, we want to come on for the rest of the country and share the sad news that Robert Williams has died on the West Coast. He was 63 years old. His wife, confirming the death, has also has said he has also been battling with severe depression of late. His daughter Zelda spoke of the, about the kind but troubled man the world adored, saying he was always warm, even in his darkest moments. While I'll never ever understand how he could be so loved, loved so deeply and not find it in his heart to stay, there's minor comfort in knowing our grief and loss in some small way is shared with millions. Family, I shudder again to think that we not have the same thing here. In fact, statistics show that I can probably guarantee it. And it hurts me to see this, to see people that we may have in the body, to seem have it all together, but in reality are dealing with the same struggles that Robin Williams did. Maybe they have contemplated taking their own life, or have spent a night or several nights in a psych ward. But there's hope. And the reason there's hope is because there's three examples in the Old Testament that I want to point to today that point towards having hope. The first of which is the Numbers chapter 11. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, here Moses is leading the children of Israel and is being overwhelmed by the task. And it says there in verse 14, Moses crying out to the Lord, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is just too heavy for me. Mental health is detrimental because they lead to isolation. I alone, I alone, I am the only one. I come to services every day. Everyone has on their Sunday best. They have the perfect family. Why is my life falling apart? I am not able to carry this on. And so we isolate ourselves. And just like what Moses said in verse 15, Moses cried out to the Lord, If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Moses' isolation caused him to ask God to take his own life. In 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, we read of a prophet called Elijah, who on the throes of great victory goes from the highest, literally, the highest mountain to the deepest valley, to a cave. He heard that Jezebel put a death sentence on him, and so he ran. And in verse 4, I thought I had this on the screen, but I don't. In verse 4 it says, But he himself 
went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He literally just defeated an entire, basically, army of of people. But yet, he knew the feeling of being worthless. He said, I'm not better than my father's. Because Satan wants us to think that very thing. He wants us to dwell on those failures. And he wants to put our mind on the negative and feel worthless. So what was Elijah's response? Take my life. I'm done. What about Jeremiah? Go to Jeremiah chapter 20 with me. Jeremiah chapter 20, another prophet. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 18 says, Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? It's it's detrimental if we don't fix mental health because we feel ashamed. And so we'll not express them to other people. And we don't want others to know because we don't want ourselves to be ashamed. I said there was some good in this. The good news is that two of these men joined Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus went up the mountain to be transfigured, there were two people with him, Moses and Elijah. And What happened is they've overcame that. They were able to put past that, get the help that they needed by their brethren, by their friends, by their family, so that still on that day, Moses and Elijah joined Christ on that mountain. And hopefully one day we'll be with them as well. There is hope. Which leads me to my final point. Beware of being judgmental. We want and we should need, we do need people to express and share these feelings. We need to have an openness and an environment that fosters the sharing with others. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brethren, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We actually have a responsibility to encourage and to help those that may be struggling with such things. On the flip side, though, people can't help if they don't know what to help you with. And so we need to be a family that chooses not to be judgmental and still foster that environment so that everyone is encouraged to be able to talk to one another like a family does, and have open arms and a willingness to listen and sometimes say nothing. Like Job. In Job chapter 2, turn me to Job chapter 2. If anyone had a right to suffer from depression, it was Job. And in Job chapter 2, beginning of verse 11, 
Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came from each of his own place. And I'm not about to read those words, so we're going to skip down. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And here's the key passage. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. You see, you need to be that kind of friend. The friend that, that doesn't say, here's a sermon for you, or here's a passage for you, or here's my advice, or my solution, but to just sit in silence. And in doing so, you're going to hear things that probably don't want to hear. I can't tell you the amount of times when calamity would strike that I would say things that I truly did not mean. I didn't believe it. I didn't feel it. But I'm in such sorrow that I said it. It's in times that like these just to sit and let us grieve. Because we truly are a family. And if, you, if we are a family, then you know me. And I know you. And I know that if you were to ever say something completely off the wall, you don't mean it. You don't, you don't live by that. But it's best to just sit in ashes and not speak sometimes. Our tendency is to truly be judgmental and have an opinion. But, again, how did this all turn out? We already mentioned about the about the Mount of Transfiguration. But flip over with me to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. Now, in the middle of all this, in Job 19, he, it's not the end of the passage. But in the middle of everything, Job cries out, says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. Job lashed off with what he knew. He couldn't explain it. He didn't know what was there, but he held on to what he knew. And what he knew was that God is always there and that his Redeemer lives. So what song do we sing at the end of a sermon? Song of encouragement. At times we're tempted to turn away and retreat. We... But in doing so, we need to draw closer to him and one another. This pew has a bad rap. I, I hate this pew. I love this pew and I hate this pew. Because this pew here is not for those that have done the bad things. This pew here is for those of you that are here tonight that need encouragement. That can't move on, that feel like there's nothing I can do, I am, I don't know what to say right now, but I just need help. I need prayers. It's for the mom out back who never has the chance to hear a sermon. That is just, I can't, I don't know how anymore. It's for the teenager 
who going through so much at school has no idea which way is up, which way is down, and is completely overwhelmed. It's for the dad who just lost his job and is scared about where his next meal may be. It's for the veteran who silently struggles every single night with the pain of war and constant reminder of what they have experienced and what they've done and what they've saw. For the leaders of the church, for the elders, for the deacons, who after putting on a brave face in front of the entire congregation while wolves try to destroy the flock, finally relaxes and is in need of the flock to encourage him. And it's for you. Because I would rather stand here tonight and cry with you on your shoulders than to be at your funeral knowing that you didn't have a voice and you felt like you had only one way out. Therefore, if you ever need anything, you know you have me. I may be moving. I may be going. We have phones. We have FaceTime. We have your brothers and sisters. And I would rather sit in seven days and nights and cancel all my meetings. I'm going to New York this week. I'll cancel it. And I would rather sit there for seven days and nights in silence than to hear something on a text message or see an article like that come across my screen. So, the song of encouragement is for you. Won't you come now? My arms are open wide and so is the congregation as we stand and as we sing.